1: Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, here in New York. Um, Back with another episode for you guys this week. We're going to continue our discussion of my main event at this summer's World Series of Poker. Uh, Before we do that, I want to thank you guys for the feedback on last week's episode. Seems like most of you are in agreement with uh, the mistakes that I thought I might have made. (laughs) So it sounds like the things that I wish I had done differently, many of you agree that I should have done those things differently. Um, Yeah, I'm not afraid to say that I don't think I'm the perfect poker player. Every single time I sit down to play, I make, I don't even know how many mistakes. All I can do is my best and, uh, you know, I've done okay in the game. There are certainly many players out there that are much more successful in poker tournaments than I have been. But I'm definitely the most successful poker-playing comedian I know. So, <laughs> hey, look, if we can have last woman standing, why not last comedian standing? Everyone can be first place if you <laughs> boil the categories down uh, to a small enough player pool. Um, but yeah, kidding aside, do appreciate the love and you guys listening and thinking carefully about, uh, you know, what you think of my decisions. It's really nice to have this kind of conversation going, and I want to keep it going this week. I've got some very interesting hands, I think, that you guys will enjoy a lot. So let's get to it. I started day three with a top 150 stack out of the 2,800 or so players that were remaining in the main event at that point. Uh, I had 403,000 and the average stack was about 120. So uh, I was very excited to play day three the way it works for those who may not have played before uh, after your day two if you have... If you play day 1A or 1B, then you end up playing day 2AB, which means that day 3 doesn't happen for another. There's a day off in between your day 2 and your day 3, which is normally not a problem. But for me, I was very excited knowing I was coming back to such a big stack of chips, and I was very eager to find out who my opponents would be. And it was uh, a little nerve-wracking having to wait that extra day. I'm not going to lie. I love the main event so much. You guys know this about me. So anyway, uh, be that as it may, the day finally came around and I couldn't wait to sit down to my 403,000 chips. Little did I know I would end up playing no fewer than eight different tables on day three, which is kind of ridiculous. But for... Uh, Just the luck of the draw, I ended up being moved around quite a bit. Um, You know, of course that happens. It's happened to me before. It's surely going to happen again. But to me, the fun of the game is getting to know your opponents and figuring them out over the course of the day. And if you keep getting eight new opponents every hour and a half, it's uh, hard to actually do that. So my first table did not last long. And when I was moved to my second table, uh, the good news was I had 450,000, but the bad news was two to my left was JC Tran, four to my right was Shane Schlager, and right across from me was another player that uh, a lot of you would know, but I couldn't place him. Uh, Someone that you know you've seen on TV, you know he's a tough pro. Um, I, I, couldn't think of his name, uh, and he proved to be a really difficult opponent as well. So long story short, my new table sucked. I don't want to get into too many hands from this table because they will amount to bad beat stories where I actually got, uh, an incredible rush of cards at that table where I played for less than one hour. I was dealt aces twice. Kings once, Jacks once, and Ace-King three times, which is uh, ridiculous uh, to get that many starting hands in such a short period of time. Uh, Even more ridiculous is the fact that I only won one of those hands. Um, So I don't want to whine and cry to you guys about how I had 450000 and then wham, 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 poor me. Um, There was one interesting hand that, Uh, I do want to just briefly touch on from that table, and it involves Ace-Jack. Okay, so this hand begins at the 1,200-2,400 level. Uh, Of course, there is a 2,400 big blind ante, and there is 6,000 in the pot before the action begins. Uh, folded to me in third position or under the gun plus two and I have about 320,000 behind so again we're in great shape we have ace jack offsuit the ace of spades jack of clubs and decide to open to 5,500 so it's a little more than two times the big blind but not quite two and a half times the big blind. So I think this bet is fine, and it's kind of become standard over the course of this summer. I can remember as recently as two or three years ago, this would have been a min raise every time, and now players are starting to go a little bit bigger. So 55 just felt right at this table. So I raise it up to 5,500. And only the big blind, who is Molly Ann Mossy, as we know her, Minnesota Molly, calls. Now, Molly and I had only met a few weeks ago, earlier in the summer, at a social event. Uh, She impressed me as being poker knowledgeable. Um, Probably not what you would consider a professional. I believe she does some live reporting for Poker News. Uh, she was named Minnesota Player of the Year for what it's worth. I don't know if it's worth much, but uh, I really know what the scene is like in Minnesota. No offense to any Minnesotans who might be listening to this and saying, hey, we've got a great poker scene here. I'm sure you do. Uh, I'm just not familiar with how prestigious the title of Minnesota Poker Player of the Year is. Uh, I've only been at this table for a short time. Um, I've been mostly... Conversing with Shane, Shane Schlager, who is the small blind in this hand and has already folded. Um, so the two of us see a flop heads up with, uh, let's see, the original six plus my 55 plus Molly's three. So let's call it about 14.5 in the pot. And the flop comes. Seven, four, seven, three, deuce. Sorry, seven, three, deuce with two spades. And we have the jack of spades for what it's worth. Uh, Molly checks to us. I think we can bet this flop. Um, I think checking is also fine here. It just feels like... A pretty obvious spot for a continuation bet, but I guess I felt like mixing up my play. And I also know that uh, I can't get a better hand to fold on a flop that's this dry. Uh, if Molly called pre flop with something like ace tray or pocket fours, like none of those hands are going anywhere for one bet. That doesn't mean that I can't push her off of such a hand later. But given that I've already lost 100,000 at this table in the very short time I've been here, I think my table image is probably questionable at best. Uh, It's easier to bluff when people don't suspect that you might be tilting. I basically sat down, raised it up, three of the last four hands and lost them all. Uh, So with that image, I didn't feel like bluffing was... uh, Smart And really, at the end of the day, continuation bets are usually bluffs, whether we realize it or not. So, with all that in mind, I decided to check it back. And certainly, if Molly checks the turn, I will probably bet, no matter what the card is. uh, If she checks it to me twice, she can get some money. So, anyway, the board pairs the middle card. So, it's a red three. I think it was the three of hearts. So now our board is 7 tray deuce and another tray on the turn. And now Molly bets 5,000 into the 14,000-ish pot. Uh, this is a really small bet. Um, it's possible that my hand is good and that she just decided to take a cheap stab at the pot. Uh, it's also possible that she has something like 7, 8, or 7-6 and she called my raise pre-flop with that and was going for a check call on the flop and when I didn't bet she decided the only way to make money is for her to bet I think most players with a seven would bet a little bit bigger here um, to only come out for 5,000 here on the turn just felt like it might not be a seven or any other hand that had a lot of confidence so I mean I can call here if I want to and then take it away from her if she checks the river. Um, because it just feels like if she's doing this for value, it's likely to be pretty thin value. And if she's doing it as a bluff, she probably won't try to bluff again on the river if I call on this dry of a board. So that was my assessment of the situation in that particular spot. And now we get a river which was the jack of diamonds. So, no flush, but the final board of 7, tray, deuce, tray, jack and we have ace jack. So the river gave us uh, two pair, jacks and trays and Molly bets out again. This time she puts in 15,000 into the 30ish pot. So I thought about raising for value, but I just didn't really think that I'd be able to get any value. Um, I think that Ace Jack will usually be good in this situation. I mean, of course, Molly could have a three. Uh, she could have, I, I mean, I don't know what else. Maybe she slow played a big pair. That's odd. Um, it was hard to put her on a hand that I couldn't beat um, other than A three, And it just, I don't think she has that many threes in her pre-flop calling range and getting about three to one on her, uh, on her river bet. I decided that because my hand only needs to be good 25% of the time to show a profit that combined with the fact that I didn't think she would call many of my raises unless I was somehow beat, I decided to just call and she turned over a jack seven offsuit. So she wins the hand with jacks and sevens, and uh, that is one of the few hands that could beat me. Um, Yeah, a little surprising to see such a weak holding from Molly in this situation. Uh, not that my pre-flop raise was so big, uh, but I just didn't perceive her to be the type of player that would have even a suited jack seven in her range, and then... I learned the hard way that she even has a offsuit version of jack seven in her pre calling range from at least when I raise from early position. So uh, I will make a note of that in case I ever play against Molly again. Um, yeah, And the rest of that table went so badly that by the end of the first level of the day... I was down to 96,000 from 403,000. But then I was moved to a new table, and a lot of things happened there too. So the new table is a lot more what we have in mind when we plunk down down $10,000 to play in the main event. Many amateur opponents, many of whom seem overwhelmed with the experience, maybe a little bit shaky, nervous. Uh, The energy feels like just don't mess up. And that's the kind of energy that really feeds into my playing style because I like to test my opponents so much. So I was very happy to be away from JC Tran and Shane Schlager and much happier to be in the presence of these uh, less intimidating and more intimidated opponents. So um, let me fast forward a little bit. When I had left Shane's table, I was down to like 96,000 or so. And things went much better at my new table. I was playing small ball, picking up a little pot here, a little pot there. Uh, No really big hands but next thing I knew I had over 180,000 in my stack when the blinds were 1,500 3,000 with a 3,000 big blind ante so we had 60 big blinds Um, that's one way of looking at it of course you you guys know I love M so my M was about 24 ish so I was happy either way, uh, to kind of be out of the woods as far as being in a in a bad stack situation. You know, with this kind of stack, you can pretty much do all of your moves, except for maybe the light five bet pre-flop. <laughs> you know, everything else is fair play uh, with this many blinds. So uh, let's talk about a hand I played right before the dinner break, which came at the end of the second level of the day. It's the 1500 3K level. Um, It's folded to the hijack who makes it 6,500 with about 110,000 behind. So this man, he's an older black gentleman with a thick Southern accent. I'm putting him somewhere around Louisiana, possibly Mississippi. Um, Definitely one of the amateurs at the table had been kind of limping in a lot, uh, generally seemed a little bit out of his element in the main event. Uh, maybe he won a satellite in Tunica or Biloxi or something like that and ended up here that way. Or maybe he played in one of those home games where every week a certain amount of money goes to the the main event fund and one player from that home game. Like He's got that kind of vibe to him, uh, which is cool. I mean, I try to help Guys like him enjoy the experience. Uh, I root for them when they're all in against anyone other than me. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I tend to be really nice to these kind of players because they really are the reason why the uh, main event is the best tournament in the world. It's the only time a player like this is going to be in a $10,000 buy-in at any point during the year. So anyway... Uh, I decide to call his raise Uh, I have about 180 and I'm holding the 5 of hearts, 4 of spades on the button I know, I know this is a junk hand and if you told me that you've never called a raise with this hand in your whole life I would say that's fine and I, I can't really argue with staying out of trouble right? Um, I have a little bit more of an aggressive mindset in tournaments, and I try to take as many opportunities as I can to play any reasonable holding, or obviously even some unreasonable holdings on the button, particularly when the only player at the table who has shown any interest in the pot is an amateur such as the one I just subscribed, uh, described, rather. Um, so with that in mind, I decided to call with the 5-4 off suit. Uh, before we justify any further, let's talk about the blinds because when you make a call on the button, one thing you have to be concerned about is the fact that you could get squeezed out by sharp players in the small blind and big blind. Um, the big blind in this situation is what I call a Vegas local reg... Um, Guy in his 40s probably has every color of Venetian baseball cap that they give out. Um, I'm sure that he gets to play in the free roll at the win every month or whatever else is going on for like local grinder types around town. Um, He probably does fine at poker, um, but he's definitely not a professional. Uh, he probably has like some other type of income. Um, players like him don't squeeze enough uh, compared to what the solvers should say, would say that we should be squeezing. Um, I'm not concerned about him putting in some kind of big raise as a bluff. Uh, the other thing I've noticed is that this will in all likelihood, be the last hand before dinner. The clock is at one minute left, and the, the dinner break is coming up. A lot of players are, are asking each other, is it time for dinner? Why are they doing dinner break so early? All this kind of stuff. Uh, for those who haven't been out there, the main event is on ESPN Live, and because of that, the World Series of Poker is basically at the mercy of the network. So if ESPN says your dinner break is going to be at 3.45, That's what time we all go to dinner, (laughs) and we call it dinner, even though who has ever eaten dinner at 345, who's also a poker player? Uh, Definitely not me. Uh, But anyway, we all know there's a big break coming up, so I feel like that's uh, influencing the small blinds demeanor as he seems to be looking to fold his hand already. He's kind of got both hands on his cards, and he's kind of halfway out of his seat. It looks like he wants me to make my decision so that he can fold and run and try to beat some of the other players to the dinner break. Um, you know, maybe he's angling me, but I, I took it at face value. So those are the reasons why I feel like calling's okay. I'm very likely to play this pot heads up against the original Razor. But if the big blind decides to come along, he's not a player that I'm overly concerned about anyway. So I'm fine playing 5-4 on the button, even against both of them if it comes to that which is also why I didn't three bet. So uh, I call and the small blind folds his hand and then runs to try to beat everybody else to dinner. Um, and the big blind does call. So three of us see the flop. Queen eight, tray with two spades and we have the four of spades For what it's, for what it's worth, which is not much. With 20,000 in the pot, the big blind checks, and the original Razor puts in 5,500 into 21,000. Now, this is a really small bet, and I was seeing a lot of this this summer, and really just in tournaments that I've played uh, this year, even before the World Series of Poker, I've seen a lot of these very small flop bets. I mean, he opened to 6,500, got two callers and is now betting 5500 uh, Some players will be very balanced when they do this, and you can't really read that much into it because they would do this same bet with aces or even three queens as they would with their standard continuation bet with a hand like ace-10 offsuit. Um, but against this type of opponent, I think he'll be less inclined towards balance And he probably has a marginal hand that he's decided to bet here. Maybe something like pocket nines. Um, I thought he could even possibly have ace king and just doesn't know that it's okay to check when you have two opponents. But I really didn't put him on a monster when he puts in 5,500 into 21,000. So therefore, I decide to pounce on this right now. Um... I raised to 20,000. Now, my range for raising to 20,000 is not important because I don't think that my opponent is going to be considering my range. I mean, this is pure, exploitative, unbridled aggression here. Uh, it is a pretty dry flop. I mean, there are some draws. Uh, queen, eight, Tray with two spades. It's not the the driest board in the world, but... It's not very wet either. It's kind of medium strength. Uh, Therefore, I should have some bluffs in my range with hands like jack-10 suited, uh, especially spades, which would be a straight flush draw. Um, I I should balance this against tough opponents, but because I don't have tough opponents in this hand, I decide to just go ahead and make it 20,000 without really considering what I'm representing, even. The big blind almost immediately folds and then rushes off to go get dinner somewhere. Uh, by the way, the player that was in middle position is in the one seat here, and I'm in the six, and my opponent is in the four, and this player is watching intently. Um, that'll come into play in a moment. So he has not run off to dinner like everyone else. He's the only one who stayed to see how this all turns out. Uh, So now the action is back on my southern gentleman opponent, and he decides to start talking to me. He kind of takes a deep breath and says, what you got, man? With a really thick accent, like a Mississippi, Louisiana type of accent. And I just kind of laugh. And I said, oh, you want to talk? Okay, well... I, I'm, I don't think I'm allowed to tell you what I have. And I, I ask the dealer as if I don't know the rules. Like, am I allowed to tell him what I have? And she shakes her head no. And she's kind of laughing. Uh, by the way, we've had kind of a fun-loving vibe at this table all along. So my opponent is used to kind of goofing off with me. So it's not like this is the first time we've ever spoken to each other. We've been having... Casual conversation since I sat down at this table after having been moved away from JC Tran and Schla- Shane Schlager, whose name is hard to say earlier. I tell him, I can't tell you what I have, but I can tell you this. I might be bluffing. Uh, I And then he starts agonizing a bit. And I said, Come on, man, what do you have? And he tells me he has a queen with a king kicker never mind that we just established it's against the rules to say what you have at the table and i've just you know failed to tell him what i have for that reason uh he just go ahead and blurt blurt it out he went ahead and blurted out that he has a queen with a king kicker uh, at that point i know i'm in trouble and i tell him well it might be good and then again it might not And he says, well, the question is, do I want to gamble with it? Now, this comment makes no sense. But I think that many times players that are trying to engage in table talk just find a way to use the word gamble, whether it makes any sense or not. Um, Unless he thought that I had a draw. And then it's a question of, do I want to gamble? But if I have almost any draw, he's a big favorite. Uh, And he should be willing to gamble, but I guess maybe not. Anyway, he does throw his uh, cards into the muck face up, and I see that he actually folded a queen, top pair with a king kicker. So my read of his tiny bet was way off, uh, but my read of his experience level and decision-making ability was not. Um, I don't mean to be hard on this player because, again, these players are the lifeblood of the main event. Uh, But I was surprised that I could get him off of a queen so easily. I didn't think that he would make that bet with a queen in the first place. So after this happens, the dealer tries to playfully take a peek at my cards. Like, she's kind of giggling the whole time. She thought the whole thing was funny. Um, And then... The player I mentioned that had been sticking around from the one seat was still there. So I told her, no, 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 please don't look. Uh, She kind of grabbed him and it looked like maybe she flipped him up very quickly. But then I I stopped her instantly. No, 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 please, because I'm afraid that I don't want him to see what I folded. And I pointed at the player in the one seat who was a professional player from maybe Brazil, Uh, a Southern American player, I thought. South American player, for sure. Um, so then the dealer mucks my hand and the Brazilian guy says, actually, I saw them. And now, meantime, the king-queen guy is disappointed that he didn't get to see my hand. So I told the Brazilian guy, go ahead, tell him what I had. Now, here I'm really taking a risk because if he really saw that I had five four then he's going to tell that to my opponent in this hand, which could really hurt some of the goodwill that I've built up with him uh, in the hour or so that I've been at this table. So it's kind of a risk, right? But I thought there was a, a very low chance that he'd actually seen my hand. And so therefore I was willing to take that risk. And he just shakes his head like he doesn't want to tell him. I said, you can tell him ace, queen. You can tell him if you saw it. So I tried to sell that I had Ace Queen and that my opponent was pipped. But then the Brazilian guy admits that he actually did not see my cards. So I just told the guy, look, it was Ace Queen. Uh, you know, let's go to dinner. We'll come back and have some more fun. So that was the end of that level. Or actually, it wasn't. We came back from dinner break and continued on that same level for a little while longer. The breaks were not aligned with the actual tournament schedule, but only with the uh, TV contract that uh, WSOP and ESPN had with one another. So I thought that was an interesting spot. I like the table talk. I like the exploitative raise. Notice that if my opponent just would have bet a normal amount, like say ten thousand into twenty-one thousand, I would not have been tempted to pounce on that bet especially in a multi-way pot on a fairly wet queen eight, three with two spades flop it's not often that I will take a pure bluff and make it 20,000 there it was just the the confluence of circumstances that caused me to want to make that move and it happened to work out I'm sure this play is questionable and uh, some of you will think that it was a bad idea that worked out well for me. Which, uh, if you if you think that, let me know. Tweet at Clayton Comic and tell me what you think of these and all of my plays. Um, I love to interact with you guys and hear what you think about how I played the uh, most important tournament of the year. So let's do one more. Shortly after dinner, we are moved to yet another table, and by this time I'm actually losing track of how many tables I've been seated at in this tournament. Um, But the new table was good, really good, actually, and I ran it up. Actually, at one point, uh, it was looking like I might get to an all-time high. (laughs) I laugh because some people make fun of the fact that when I'm playing in a tournament and my stack reaches an all-time high point, I always point that out because I, I want people to know like things are going well. And then for several hours, sometimes there won't be an all-time high and it's always nice to get back to one. Although, uh, that's not really the way to look at tournament poker. I mean, it makes for fun tweets and it's good for casual fans who might be following the action on Twitter. But... Uh, really what matters most is your M. Uh, you want to have a playable stack at all times where you don't have to just take a push-fold situation and hope for the best. Um, so with that in mind, what's important is that we manage to get our stack back up to 360,000 uh, shortly after the dinner break at the new table. Blinds were 2,000 and 4,000 with a 4,000 ante. And there is a player, two to my right, who has been opening way too many pots. So I have successfully 3-bet him, I think once, uh, where he had opened and then I put in a pretty good size 3-bet and he folded and I won a nice pot without a flop in that situation. So, uh, you know, my thinking on this is, if I'm in a similar situation again, I'm just going to go ahead and 3-bet him light again, until he finally makes an adjustment. Some players will almost never make that adjustment, and some players make it very quickly. It's very hard to tell which kind of opponent you have, so... I will keep doing the thing that I think is profitable until somebody puts the hammer down on me. So, uh, say all that to set this up. In this hand, that player I mentioned, min raises to 8,000 with about 220-ish behind. Again, the blinds are 2,000, 4,000 with 4,000 ante. It's folded to him in the hijack and he opens to 8,000, the min-raise. The cutoff folds, and I'm on the button holding six of diamonds, four of diamonds. Now, if you constructed um, a balanced button, three-betting range, this hand may or may not be uh, included in that range because I'm not playing against a computer, and I expect my opponent to make mistakes that computers would not. Uh, I don't really care if this hand is in a (laughs) PO solver, three betting range or not. I decide to go ahead and three bet with it for exploitative reasons. And I make it 25,000, which I now think is a little small. I'll get a few more folds if I go all the way up to 30 or 35. I don't think 25 is a trivial call for my opponent And when he does call, and I get to take a flop in position, holding this hand, I don't think that's a bad situation for me either. It's not the end of the world, although, obviously, the preference with the six high is that you'll just take it down. So anyway, uh, the blinds fold, and it goes back to the original razor, who this time calls. So the last time we showed this pattern, he folded, and this time he calls. That's not a big enough sample size to draw any conclusions. Anyway, we're heads up in a 60,000 pot in position with the 6-4 of diamonds. Jack of diamonds, 10 of clubs, tray of diamonds. So, again, the flop is jack, 10, tray, rainbow, and one of our suit. We have the 6-4 of diamonds, and the tray of diamonds is on the flop. Opponent checks, there's 60,000 in the pot. I think, having been the pre-flop 3-better, we usually want to go ahead and continuation bet on most flops. Uh, This is a particularly ugly flop for my hand, though. The jack-10 on the board is troublesome because when our opponent has pocket jacks or pocket 10s, obviously... That's the worst-case scenario for me. But there are just other hands that he might choose to continue uh, in the hand that don't even have a pair yet, like king-queen, ace-king, ace-queen. Although ace-king probably should have four-bet preflop, particularly given the dynamics that I described. Many players do just flat with that hand, especially in the main event where everyone's afraid of making that one final tragic mistake and having to go back home and tell everyone how they lost with ace-king. So you will see a lot more conservative uh, plays with premium hands in the main event than you might in a different event. So we can't even rule out ace-king here, and I don't think that I'm getting any of those hands to fold. So if I fire a continuation bet here, I'm only likely to get folds from hands like ace five of clubs, um, pocket sixes, these kind of hands can actually fold immediately. The other hands, it's going to take a little bit more work. Therefore, should I even bother to continuation bet? You know, I tried to win this pot before the flop. I can go ahead and give up now. The reason I opted to uh, go ahead and, and, and fire here is because I have three to the straight flush. Um, That's not as important as the fact that it just dictates that many turn cards will improve my equity in the hand and serve as a good double barrel card. So given that, I decided to go ahead and put in 22,000, giving myself an excellent price. I think I will get folds from... You know, ace five of spades, pocket sevens, those types of hands that are clearly in my opponent's range, um, and not expect to get too many folds from king queen, ace queen, ace king, or obviously any, you know, anything that hit the board like ace ten or ace jack. They're not going anywhere just yet for sure. So, but because I can pick up some equity on the turn and put a lot of pressure on my opponents' medium strength hands. Uh, I do go ahead and, and fire this small bet here. About a third of the pot only needs to work about 25% of the time to show an immediate profit. Uh, that doesn't even include the profits I can show if, if I pick up a good double barrel card and happen to win with the double barrel on the turn. So yeah, I bet 22000 and he called rather quickly, which made me think he'd actually hit a, hit the flop Something like Ace Ten was probably about my best guess. Um, although it's it's you know it's very hard to range him because my small bet invites a lot of calls from a lot of hands. The turn comes the Deuce of Spades, which gives me a gut shot. I would strongly prefer the Deuce of Diamonds that could give me the gut shot straight flush draw, but. I think this is a card that I can fire again because I did pick up some equity. Uh, My equity on the flop is pretty low. And now having this gut shot here, uh, I think really improves. And if if the five happens to come on the river and my opponent is slow playing a big hand, uh, I could probably get all the chips because there's just no way anyone's ever going to put me on Uh, 6-4. They just can't. So for all those reasons, when he checked... I decided to bet again. The pot at the time was 104. And, uh, you know, no one's near commitment. My opponent started this hand with 220,000, an M of 22. He started with 58 big blinds. So we're not in a position where anyone's stack is as of yet being threatened. But a sizable bet on the turn, and that'll change things if it's called. So I put in 65,000 and my opponent tanked for about a minute to a minute and a half before finally calling. Now at that point, especially with the amount of time it took him to make the call, and of course by virtue of the fact that I was not check raised, I thought that it was uh, very likely my opponent had a hand something like Ace-10 and was just hanging on for dear life, I couldn't be very sure about that, but that was just kind of the, the feel that I got from the amount of time it took him to call. At that time the pot was two hundred thirty-four thousand and my opponent was now down to about one hundred thousand. Actually. So with him having only one ten behind and the pot being at 2.34, uh, there's a reasonable chance that he can expect all the chips to go in on the river. But he called anyway, which I thought was pretty strong. Ace-10 probably being the bottom of his range when he calls. River is another deuce, the deuce of diamonds. So we now have six high and our opponent checks immediately. Um, I have a decision here. Do I want to test him for his last 110,000 chips? or do I want to preserve my stack? What's left of it? I've already lost 100,000, uh, you know in this spot If you know, I can't win with six high So if I check give up, I've lost 100,000 trying to bluff my way through this hand. Do we fire again? I don't know. The problem is the river pairing the deuce on the end changes nothing. So theoretically, if he called the turn, he has to call the river again. Um, It would just really suck to check back and lose to king high if he has king queen. But I just didn't really honestly didn't think king queen was a big part of his range because uh, he didn't seem to consider check raising on the flop. And I think when you flop an open ender, you have to at least consider it, right? Which which I didn't feel like he did. So I I put him on a pair. Like I said, my best guess was something like Ace-10. And I decided uh, that he was going to be getting too good a price if I fire again. And I thought it was likely that he would find the hero call. So for better or for worse, I checked down. Checked behind, gave up, and showed down six high. Uh, my opponent won the hand with pocket queens. I didn't actually turn over my six high, by the way, guys. Uh, so he wins this hand with pocket queens. And now I am down to about 250,000 with one level remaining to play on day three of the main event. That was about the average stack size. So I was doing fine in that sense. Uh, But this was a hand I thought about a lot later. Is the deuce of spades on the turn really enough for me to fire again? Um, Obviously the deuce of diamonds would have been an automatic double barrel card. But is just picking up a gut shot really reason enough to fire another barrel? Um, At the time... It felt right, Uh, you know, a month or so later, thinking about it now, I feel like maybe that's a a give up card. Do we even like my continuation bet on the Jack-10-Trey flop? I think having three to a straight flush is an argument for betting, but the Jack-10 just hits so much of our opponent's range that I don't really know how many folds I'll get. We're basically praying that he's got pocket sixes or ace five suited. Anyway, uh, that's where we're going to leave it this time. I do have a few more hands to discuss from the 2019 main event that I played. There's also plenty of footage out there that we can review together on how that tournament went for those who made the final table. uh, So we can do that as well. I am happy to say we do have a special guest for next week, and it's confirmed, and it's not going to be canceled, and we also have another one for the week after. So, for those who are getting sick of hearing me talk to myself for an hour every Friday, that should come as great news, and for all those people, and as well as everyone else who's listening, I want to express again, as I always do, my deep gratitude For you supporting this podcast, for leaving us your reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, wherever else you download your podcasts. Um, It means a lot. I love the feedback on Twitter, at ClaytonComic, and you guys are just the best. Uh, The greatest poker community in the world is TPE, and I'll I'll put it up against any other community on earth. Uh, So for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge... I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you guys so much for listening.
0: I want to hold them like they do in Texas please. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. Love Luck and intuition, play the cards with babes to start. And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart. while little in is fun when you're with me I love it. Russian roulette is not the same without a gun And baby when it's loving it's not rough it isn't fun fun Oh Whoa oh, oh, Whoa oh, 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 oh. Well get a heart Show away